As I was saying, um, my name's Andrew, and um, I get to pastor here, and, and uh, it's my pleasure to um, share the word with you this morning. And so in, before we do that, let's do the Bible reading, and it'll be on the screen, or if you've got your Bibles, um, or whatever medium you use to read the word, open your Bibles to the first letter of Peter, and we're going to read the first 12 verses of the first letter of Peter. And this is a letter that um, Peter wrote to, um, and we'll hear a little bit more about it, to, to five provinces, to, to people that were exiles that were scattered into five different provinces. And um, there's, a, there's a bunch in this letter, and over the next little while we're going to have a bit of a look at that. So let's start at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And that's as far as we'll read this morning. So we're starting a, a bit of a small theme, and we want to use the first letter of Peter, 1 Peter. And we're calling it, You Are God's People. Um, first, uh, first Peter is written to the church, God's people. And a little bit further on, we'll see that in chapter 2, where he says um, down in verse eight, uh, 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And he, he's speaking to the church, to God's people. And uh, there's a lot going on, as I said, that we've got these, these people of, of wherever they've come from, um, they're probably, prob um, they're probably uh, mostly Gentiles, although there is some Jews as well. And he wants to, he wants to encourage them. They've been, they're exiles, they've been dispersed, they're in lots of different provinces. Uh, we'll discover that they are under some challenge that there are things going on in their life, there are things that they're struggling with, uh, ways that they're struggling, but he wants to encourage them as well as remind them who they are. And we are also God's people. We are the church. Um, and there's a lot to see and be reminded for us too 
uh, as Peter encourages the church that he writes to. A little bit of background. Um, like I said, he's writing from Rome. You know, occasionally he'll use Babylon and you wonder, well, hang on a second, is he in Babylon or Rome? Babylon became a little bit of a term that was used for anywhere where God was not honoured. It became a little bit of a, a way to describe, you know, like we might describe something that's, that's negative. So when you see Babylon in there, don't get confused. He's writing from Rome to both Jews and Gentiles, but probably mostly Gentile believers. Now, this is the same Peter that we all know of who, walked, who was with Jesus, wasn't it? <clears throat> uh, he's the fisherman. He was part of Jesus' crew. Uh, he was the one who denied Jesus. Um, he was the one who was devastated when he heard the cock crow three times. He was also the one that was restored by Jesus, even though he'd done the wrong thing. And he would be the rock on which a church would be built. You remember where Jesus said, you are, you're Peter, the rock, uh, and um, the gates of hell will not prevail against this rock, against the church. Now, Peter was the right person to write this letter. Why? Because he knew struggle. He knew challenge. He knew oppression. He knew suffering. He went on to suffer a lot for being, you know, initially for someone who denied Jesus because he didn't want to suffer a little bit around the fire, he went on to suffer much. Uh, because he was connected to Jesus. And he knew struggle, he knew challenge, he knew oppression, he knew suffering, and he knew the people and the churches that he was writing to in those five different provinces of Asia. And that's modern-day Turkey, those areas that, we, that, we, that are in the, in the Scripture there. They were suffering under all kinds of oppression and trouble, and they knew, and Peter knew, that there was more to come, that it wasn't over yet. They were Gentiles that had come to faith and for various reasons they'd been scattered. And it talks about being dispersed, the dispersion um, out to those areas. We discovered this in the first few verses of our reading. He calls them exiles. And an exile is someone who doesn't belong there, aren't they? They're, we have different terminology for them nowadays. We call them aliens, we call them refugees, um, wherever they were. This was kind of right at the tail end of Nero's Rome, uh, uh, reign. rather. And um, these were Roman colonies, and these people were exiles. They didn't really belong there. Uh, imagine, and they weren't settled. Imagine internment camps, or imagine in our modern day uh, refugee camps, where there's many, many people that are, that are living there, but they don't belong there. This is not their country. This is not their place. And so they were treated badly. They were not treated as citizens. They were not treated with the... Um, with equality or with the way that a normal Roman was treated. Knowing what they were dealing with and what was coming, Peter wanted to remind them of who they are and what they have in Christ. And how that really matters, that it really makes a difference that you recognise and that you understand who you are and what you have in Christ. And it makes a difference in the context that they're in and it makes a difference in the context that we're in as well. They're God's people. They are the church and we'll see a few things there. There are people of hope. Uh, we'll see there are people of hope. We'll see they're called to holiness. We'll see that there are chosen people, a, cho a people of purpose and impact. They're called to obedience and submission, even though that's kind of hard where they are. <clears throat> He helps them to see how to respond in the midst of suffering. But those are a few things that we want to touch on for the next few weeks. 
Because we're God's people too, as I said. We are God's church and, and we're called to those very same things that we see in the first letter of Peter. And perhaps for us too, we struggle at times as well, albeit modern day issues, maybe not the same issues and we're not living in internment camps. The most important things for God's people to be reminded of. And that's why, I believe that's why Peter wrote that at the start. And that's something that we also need to understand. The most important thing is hope. Hope that it gets better. Hope that there is a purpose. Hope for an inheritance is what Peter's talking about. Eternal life. There was something beyond what they were experiencing. They knew the gospel. They'd been, they, you know, they, some of them were Jews, but many of them were Gentiles, and they'd been, the gospel had come to them, and they understood what Jesus had done for them. They understood where they were going. They understood salvation. They understood eternal life. But Peter wants to remind them of that hope, that they are a people of hope. Our text for today talks about that. But I think it is for us too, because we're a people of hope not just because it's in the name of our church, in the name of lots of churches. There's a really good reason for that, isn't there? But here, importantly, Peter's not just talking about any hope, and this is really key. This is no ordinary hope. This is living hope. And the distinction is important, so... And um, I'm gonna, you're sitting there, I'm talking, so I'm going to tell you why that distinction is important. This is not just... I hope the bus comes soon. This is not just, I hope I get that job. Or guys, I hope I get that girl. Or girls, I hope I get that guy. Or I hope I get a good guy. Or I hope I get a good girl. This is not just, I hope we get that house. I hope, you know, one day we live in a nice house or we get that house. It's not, I hope the weather is good. It's not, I hope my business survives this. Or I hope my holiday can go ahead. Heard that a few times in the last year and a bit, haven't we? Nor is it, I've made good choices with my investments and my super and my business, and so I hope my retirement is great and that I can do all that I want. Those might be hopes, and they might all be really good hopes, but that's not the kind of hope that Peter's talking about, and we need to make that distinction. Hoping is not a bad thing. Hoping for the right girl or the right guy or the right house or the right whatever is not a bad thing. But that's not what Peter's talking about. All those hopes are based on experience, on, on speculation maybe, on uh, maybe even just desire or good old hard work. But they're pretty much dependent on and can be influenced by us, can't they, those kind of hopes? But, you know, can I be nice enough to get the right girl or guy? Can I do the right things in order to make my, to make my retirement work out or whatever we're doing? They're, they're things that are dependent on us and they can be influenced by us. They could fail. And these are hopes that may not be realised or they might. Living hope, however, is not doubtful hope. The living hope that Peter is talking about is based on a person and a fact. That person is Jesus and the fact is that he arose and he is alive. Their hope, Peter, the people that Peter is talking to, and our hope is called a living hope because it's not in or by us. It came by... And that's why it's called living hope. It's not tentative, it's not insecure, it's not wait and see kind of hope. 
And we have it because God, through Jesus, caused. Did you see that word? In, and, and it's not in all of them, but in, the, in this version, in verse 3, it said, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. We have this living hope because God, through Jesus, caused us to be born again. We have it because he did it. We don't have it because we did it. And that's the difference between living hope and our kind of hope. We had no influence. We had no effort on our part. He caused us. Our hope for eternal life rests in himself is alive. It's not dead because the author of it is alive. How good is that? That's almost enough for a sermon, isn't it? We could stop there, couldn't we? But you know me. Peter goes on, and so we're going to go on a little bit as well. Because the outcome of this hope is a dead certainty. You know, the outcome of all those other hopes that I talked about is, well, it's hope, isn't it? We would like that, and, and we can probably influence it to some degree. But the outcome of this living hope that Peter is talking about is a dead set certainty. Through Jesus' resurrection, you have been given, gifted in some of the versions and some of the other um, versions of the Bible. You've been given or gifted an inheritance, a future that is imperishable. It can't spoil, it can't fade, it can't diminish or lose quantity. It's not like an investment that, oh boy, you know, the markets have gone bad. So that, that little pot of soup will have diminished a little bit. This one doesn't diminish at all. It doesn't doesn't perish, it doesn't spoil, it doesn't rust, it doesn't fade, it doesn't diminish at all. It doesn't lose quality. It can't be corrupted or spoiled. That's what Peter wants them to know. And Peter wants us to know that same thing. This, This living hope, it can't get any less. It can't get a little bit rough around the edges or need a bit of a polish up or we can't do something to to just make sure it's hanging in there and it's not slipping off the shelf. Nothing that happens here, nothing that happens now can change or diminish it. It's enduring, it's dependable. Now we've probably read this before and you're probably sitting there thinking, yeah, I can see that, that's what he says. But can you imagine the situation that they're in? As exiles, living in internment camps, being uh, being oppressed or or whatever the situation might be. How important it is to know that. How exciting or uplifting it would be to understand that. Because as humans we lose hope, don't we? We get into situations where we think, oh, I can't see this working out anymore. The word Peter uses is it's kept for you. It's minded it's secured, it's kept, it's that, think of that Swiss bank and all those movies you see about this, the guy going in after many, many years and slides out, goes into that special little room, you know the movies I'm talking about, right? Goes in that special room and the guy, the manager has to leave him alone while he opens that box that he put the stuff in there many, many years ago. And it's exactly how he left it. Think of that, that's the kind of safety deposit box and and. Peter says it's kept for you, that living hope, that hope of an inheritance of life with Christ is kept for you just like that. Who doesn't want that? We all like the sound of an inheritance that's coming, right? How many of you would get excited if in the mail this week there was a letter that came in and it said, an aunt you didn't even know about decided to leave you 
everything that she had. The first thing I want to know is, what does she have? (laughs) But we'd love that, wouldn't we? You know, that she'd kept it, and and this aunt, and who doesn't like the sound of that? Because it gives us a sense of security, you know. I'm thinking, I've got this mortgage on a house, and this aunt just left me. Wow, I could knock that off. I could do this, I could do... That's where my mind... Or am I just... Is that just me? No, that's, that's where I would go, you know. It opens possibilities that might even give me a, a, a cause for abandon and risk-taking. Imagine that. You know, and we um, lived as missionaries for, for quite a long time and one of my friends is... Um, uh, he, was, he was a missionary. His, his and his family were a missionary as well. But his mother, his father's passed away now, but his, his parents in the early years in, in, in buildings in Utrecht, in, in, in a, a town in the middle of Holland, which is now the booming student town. And so they own lots of properties there that are rented all the time. Then they bought all of these little chalets on the islands in the north of Holland. I don't know if you've heard of some of them, Tuskelling and some of those places, which are super popular places for holidays. And and I always, and there's only a couple of kids, and I always think he was always taking risks with money that we didn't ever dare to want to take as missionaries. And I think this because there's this sense where I know what's coming. Do you know how you think as human beings? I know what's coming. I know there's an inheritance coming. I know there's something that gives more risk. But even a huge inheritance, even a huge investment can fail here on earth, can't it? Stock market crashes. A pandemic hits. Who would have ever? The housing market tanks. You get sick. I could go on. It's impervious to anything at all. And we can have ultimate confidence in that. More than all those properties and that letter coming in the mail. Because this was secured by Jesus in his resurrection. Paul says elsewhere, we were made alive with Christ. We were given life when we were dead in sin with Christ. And now it's being kept by him for us. It's done. It's already paid. It's as if the investment's already paid out. And through faith, we know that we will realize that investment. We know that we're going to hold it. We know that we're going to enjoy it. We know that we're going to receive our inheritance. This gives us energy. They say, I read a quote this week, energy comes from expectation of future good. I didn't put it up on a thing, but energy comes from an expectation of future good. And when you think about that, you get energized because you expect, oh, this is going to work out. So you get into it, don't you? Maybe for those that were getting Peter's letters, it all sounds good. You know, they've read the first. He's, he's done the, the, um, the welcome or the greeting, and, and now they've read the first. Whoever's reading it to them has read the first bit. And it sounds good, and maybe it sounds good to you and me as well. But let's be honest, up to now, it's a little bit pie in the sky when you die sort of stuff, isn't it? It's kind of like, yeah, but right now, and that's kind of then. But notice in the next line in verse 5. Not only is your inheritance being kept for you in, in heaven for you, but you, by God's power, are being guarded through faith. 
Have a look at that. Have a look at verse 5. Or verse imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation. Guarded right now, right where you are. You, by God's power, are being guarded through faith. That's right, right now. Where the listeners are, as well as where you and I are, Edmund Clowney. I'm glad I don't have that name, but that's his name. He's a commentator on First Peter. He says it like this. The wonder of our hope is that the same power of God that keeps our inheritance also keeps us. We're shielded until the great day when our salvation will be revealed. So it's not just, there's this, it's great because it's imperishable and it won't spoil. But right now you're also being kept. God knows and he's guarding you. The The word shielded means kept under guard, kind of like protective custody. It's kind of like Peter wants them to know that Jesus is in this with you. Just like with the disciples, you know, when the disciples got into the storm in the boat and Jesus was in the boat with them. He wasn't outside them telling, it'll be all right, guys, don't worry about it. You know, things are going to work out. Jesus was in the boat. And it's like that now. It's a case of, it's not, don't worry about it, guys, there's a future coming. Jesus is with us now. Because we know that they were dispersed, we know they were scattered, they were oppressed and it was tough. And life can have its tough experiences For you and I as well, can't it? Peter acknowledges their suffering and their struggles. And this hope is is way more than just a silver lining or a light at the end of the tunnel sort of example or a, a consolation prize. Oh, guys, don't worry because there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's a silver lining around this miserable cloud. Or It's more than this. It's the main focus. Because he says, you can rejoice in that hope, even though... He says that in, um, in verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, this is that hope. In this you rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Even though your faith is being tested and you go through trials, there's a real sense of a down-to-earth recognition That all is not always well. Yet remind yourself of what defines you. Remind yourself of what you've got. Remind yourself of who you are. This coming inheritance is really precious. It's more precious than gold, he talks about. And gold was the greatest example because it was super valuable. Very valuable. But even gold doesn't last forever, does it? It doesn't have any value when you die. We all know the joke about the guy that carried the suitcase to heaven and he had all of his gold bars in there. And Peter at the pearly gate said, Hey guys, have a look at this. This guy's got some more pavers for our streets. (laughs) The gold is valuable, but even the readers knew that doesn't have any value when you die. And we place value on things and and, um, we hang on to them thinking they're going to have value. Um, A bit of a thing at my house, I've got this really old typewriter it's one of the first, um, um, what do you call them, mobile typewriters. You know, it's got a little wooden case when you flick it open. It's kind of like a little carry around one. And I've got one of those cameras that opens out with a little concertina thing. 
You know, and Sue tries all the time, can we please get rid of it? And I keep saying, no, they're going to be worth a fortune one day. I think it's worth 25 bucks. You know, it's not worth much. But I've got this dream that one day they're going to be worth so much money. And I don't know how many of these American or Australian picker shows I'm watching, but that's me. It's going to happen, you know. And, but it's not. It's not valuable. You know, when I, when I, when I pass away, or, or those things are going to have no value. They're not going to give me anything. And that's what Peter says. Gold is valuable, and you guys know that it's valuable. But it's not more valuable than this. And he uses that analogy of the refining, the purification. That even as gold is, is heated right up so that the, the impurities come out, and that can be a good analogy, even eventually gold can be burned up, but not so living hope. Because it endures through absolutely everything. This hope will retain value through eternity, more than my typewriter and my camera. Its value is not time-bound. It's not the, the, the distance between life and death. It's not uh, evaluated by that. It can never be consumed. It's more valuable and durable. The testing, though, is not a waste of time. It's not because God doesn't care. Peter says the testing, even though for now you um, might have various trials, he says the testing will prove the genuineness of your hope. And that will result in God receiving praise and honour. And here we see it again. Paul does the same. Peter does the same. Everything that we go through, everything that happens, the way we respond will determine whether God gets the glory. Whether people see the glory of God through the life we lead. Whether we're singing worship songs that are fantastic and that mail came from the auntie. But also, when things are not going well, will God receive the glory? He says, God will receive praise and honour as Christ is revealed through you. When people see God in you in the good times, but also the struggles. Even though you can't see him and it's apparent in your willingness to hold on through the trials. In fact, you keep rejoicing. And in doing that, you're testifying to who God is. What a challenge. That's something when I was reading that this week. What a challenge for me that even when it's tough, will I still testify to the goodness of God? See in my actions, will people understand that even when it's hard, when I don't understand what's happening, will people see God being glorified? Will I testify to the goodness of God? He said the prophets of the Old Testament did the same. At the end, there you have that little bit where he talks about these guys were, they, did, they didn't realize it yet, and they, but they were, they were also talking about inheritance that they knew was coming, but they didn't get to see it. But you would, and you have heard and now experienced it. Peter reminds them. Likewise, as you point to Christ in the good times, others will join with you, in the, and in the tough times, others will join with you in praising and glorifying God. That's the goal, isn't it? That we draw people in and say, how good is God? Join with me in praising and glorifying God. It's not hard to see how this stuff can apply to us. Our world, sometimes it feels like this is not home anymore, that we're exiles, isn't it? <clears throat> the way our world is moving can seem unprecedented. That's the new word for the last year and a half, isn't it? We don't fit in anymore. 
with some of the narrative, whether you read it on Facebook, whether you read it in the newspapers, whether you hear it in conversations at work or at school. We don't fit in anymore the way that we think, the way that we understand the world works, the way that we understand that we're supposed to work. We are not the majority anymore. Who are our leaders? Who can we trust? You know, at times we're increasingly marginalised as Christians in schools, in, in, in medicine, in ethics. And maybe we begin to feel a little bit alien in our own culture. That's in our world. What about in our personal lives? We can have some of those same feelings, can't we? Things can change really fast. We can feel disappointed. We can feel out of control, let down. Even marginalised ourselves sometimes in some settings. We can find ourselves in situations we never intended to be in or never planned to be in. And sometimes catch ourselves losing hope. We even say it sometimes, this is hopeless. This is never going to work out. Because under challenge, and this is why Peter reminds them, It's a good reminder for us, because under challenge, we can look in the wrong place for hope. We look, and probably why Peter gives this attention first before he goes into the rest. Excuse me, I'm just going to get a drink of water. Lucky I've got some here. It's one I prepared earlier. Because under challenge, when things are not going right, when things don't seem to be the way that we, <clears throat> we expect them or would like them to be. We, we, we look in the wrong place for hope. And, and I believe that's why Peter wants to talk about this living hope with them first. Because he wants them to know that when things are not well, you need to look somewhere else. Like those that Peter wrote to, at times we find ourselves struggling and more struggle is coming. The Bible's really clear on that, isn't it? We need reminding of that living hope. Hope that isn't secured by our circumstances being right, but by our God who secured that hope for us forever. Instead of looking to ourselves or looking at others around us, Peter wants to remind us it needs to captivate our attention. What he achieved for us needs to fill our hearts with faith and hope. What Jesus did on the cross, he achieved for us salvation and eternity with him. That same inheritance that Peter is talking to these guys about, we have. And that needs to fill our hearts, our heads, our minds with faith and hope. Now, right now, because we're also being kept and guarded where we are right now and for the future. He's keeping us. And so the first part of verse 6 is for us is, is important too. In this verse, in this you rejoice. In that living hope, we can rejoice as well. Because for us too, we get to the point, even in the hard times, where we can praise him anyway and cause others to do the same. You know, the first letter of Peter is going to launch into so many other things I talked about earlier, holiness, purpose, submission and more. But he doesn't do that without first reminding them that through it all, they are God's own people with a living hope. And indeed, that hope is what makes the rest 
possible. All that they've got to endure, all the things that they're going to go through, all the opportunities they're going to have or things they're not going to have, all that becomes possible because of this living hope. All that becomes bearable because of what they know is coming. And what's more, it'll bring praise and glory to God. But his message isn't only to them, it's to us as well today, where you're at right now, where I'm at right now. Maybe you're doing great. Maybe you're not doing so great. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. The same message is true for each one of us today. Because you are, we are God's people. You are, we are the church. And that's where identity comes from, that living hope. Not from being reformed, not from being a Scoresby, not from all thinking the same and liking the same songs, not from anything like that. What defines us as a church and God's people is that we have that living hope that Christ achieved for us. There's so much more to continue to learn about being God's people, but it begins with knowing that we, right here, are people with a living hope. Our inheritance is ready right now. Oh, the time's coming when we're going to realise it and hang on to it and collect on it like an investment. The only sure investment, by the way. In the words of this same Edmund Clowney, I sure hope you say it like that, or is it Clowney? Anyway. <laughs> this is what he says. Our hope is anchored in the past, Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the presence, Jesus lives. Our hope is completed in the future because Jesus is coming. Ain't that the truth? This is who we are as God's people. This is who we are as the church. We're a people of hope and not just any hope, a living hope. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for the reminder in your word. Uh, all the time, your word reminds us of how much you love us, how much you've done for us, what we have to hold on to, what we have to look forward to, what's keeping us and guarding us, and that's you who's keeping us and guarding us in this, in this time. And Lord, we thank you for the encouragement. Lord, I confess that sometimes uh, my eyes look at myself and my situation I get caught up in what's going on in my life and I begin to look to myself for hope. I begin to depend on myself. I begin to depend on the things that I can do or the things that might make sense to me, us, that we have a living hope. And that hope is for eternity, for an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. It won't be taken away from us. It won't diminish kept for us in heaven, and we're kept by you right now. Lord, as your people, as your church, this is our inheritance for all that we do, all that we are as a people of God, so that you would be glorified, so that people would praise you, so that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess, you really are Lord and God. And it starts with us doing it and drawing others to do that. And we want to thank you for that, Lord. We want to thank you for your word and your remark to those that were struggling, to those that were walking with you and finding it hard. Thank you for his love in beginning with that. And thank you for your love for us 
and beginning with that with us as well in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to celebrate Lord's Supper and there's a great segue here. And it's, there always is a great segue to Lord's because the Lord's Supper reminds our hearts and it fixes our eyes on that hope. When we, when we reflect on that, we're reminded not to look at ourselves. We're reminded to set our sights on what Christ did for us. That's what Lord's Supper's about. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't only remember the death of Jesus. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, don't we? And we talk about remembering and celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus. That that resurrection of Jesus obtained for us the salvation of our souls. And we have a living hope that we'll realize the fullness of that in eternity because of what Christ did, because of what we celebrate. And we celebrate it. When you celebrate stuff, when you celebrate a birthday, you don't just gather around the cake and you don't just celebrate the cake. And you don't even just celebrate the birthday person. When you go to a party, you chat to everybody. You're kind of celebrating. The Dutch have this down really well. Because when you walk into a, into a birthday in Holland, how many of you know this? You congratulate everyone in the room. We laugh at that. We think that's crazy. Is a little bit. But it makes a whole lot of sense because that's what we do with the Lord's Supper. We don't just, we celebrate with each other. We congratulate each other on what Christ has done for all of us because we're God's people, remember? Because he lives. Like Peter needed to remind those that he wrote to, the Lord's Supper is our reminder that Jesus' suffering, his broken body and his shed blood brought us, you and me, into that living hope. Once we were outside and now we're in to that living hope. We remember and believe that he did that for us. He did that for me. He did that for you. We can live in the full knowledge of that now and we'll experience it fully in eternity. So let's do that now, shall we? Let's celebrate Lord's Supper. I might invite the leaders to, to come on up. You know, Jesus, when he was, and he was, um, oh, he was explaining to them he was sitting with the disciples and he was explaining to them and he was saying, and, and I don't know how you explain to your disciples that your body's going to be broken, your blood shed. Maybe that was kind of common language now, but that would be really weird if you sat down with someone nowadays and said that, right? Understand the situation. And so he used the bread and, 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 and they were sitting at supper and he, when he broke the bread, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember when you break the bread, that it reminds you that my body was broken to secure your inheritance. And then later on when he took the cup and he poured it and he said, and, and guys, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. My blood is going to be shed, but it's going to secure an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. So do it in remembrance of me. Get together as God and, and later us as children. Get together. You know, if you know this, if you know that Jesus did that for you, if you have a relationship with Jesus and you know that 
what he did on the cross secured your inheritance, then we want to invite you to celebrate with us this morning. So we're going to have two uh, stations. We'll have two people over that side and this side. Come forward and grab the elements, grab a piece of the bread and, and, and um, the juice. And then when you get back to your seats, just wait and we'll celebrate it together. Let's do that now.